He's good. He's like, if I have now found grace in your sight, O oh Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. I love this about Moses. Moses wants more. And God already told him he was going to go with him. He's like, Lord, if I found grace, can you come with us, please, please, please? Any parent in the room knows that when your kids come that way, what do you do? You come running. Can you worship God while being crabby at the same time? The two things don't really go together, do they? As you'll hear today, getting into the groove of worship goes beyond praising the Father. It deepens your faith and understanding of who God is. As Pastor Daniel explains today, worship can lead to a more effortless prayer life where you are seeking God directly and eagerly. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part three of his message entitled, A Restored Covenant. If that's you today, if you're in here today and you're saying, look, that's all fine and well, I cannot receive God's forgiveness. I have done too many things wrong. I'm going to quote my pastor, John Henry Corcoran, who I love so much. He said it to me this way. He's like, Daniel... If God has forgiven your sin, who do you think you are to remember it still? And that's a strong word, and I needed to hear it. But I think that's for some of us in here today. If God, the Almighty, the Lord, the Lord God, Yahweh, Eloheinu, the covenant and merciful God, the just God, if He's willing to forgive your sins, who do you think you are to remember it? That's the height of self-idolatry to say, well, God can forgive me. I won't accept it. No, no, no. He's already taken care of it for you at the cross. So receive his, forgive yourself because he has. And, and say, Lord, bring me down deep into this so that I can pass along forgiveness. I can pass it along. And not only that, notice what he says, by no means clearing the guilty. Now notice that. This is God's justice right there. It's beautiful. He's forgiven everybody. Merciful. By no means clearing the guilty. There it is. This is why salvation in the name of Jesus is so important. Because if you are not willing to accept God's forgiveness, then he still holds you accountable. He will not clear you unless you say, hey, I want in on that Jesus thing. So if you choose to willfully reject Jesus, you will not be cleared of all the mistakes that you've made. You make a choice. Do I want the free get-out-of-jail-free card? Do I want the free pass on my mistakes? Or do I want to try and work it out on my own? And if you choose the latter, that is between you and God. But you are saying the most illogical, insane thing. But if you're, if you're saying, well, I'm going to do it by myself. It's just not logical. And I think for me as a seeker, long before I ever became a Christian, I started grappling with that. I mean, am I really going to try and work through my existential malaise of what a life is and all the mistakes that I've made? Am I really going to try and work through it by clearing my mind and reaching a place of no mind? I mean, is that, that's one option. 
Am I going to choose not to eat certain foods hoping that my dietary choices is going to bring me to a higher plane? Am I really going to do that? Am I just going to try and provide for a wife and kids and family and think that that's acceptable? Or am I going to accept what is an absolute gift of the Almighty God? And if you really sit down and, and process through it, you start thinking to yourself, you know, it's pretty nuts that I'm rejecting Jesus. Like, it's nuts. Straight loco. Listen, if you're here and, and you're still working through it, I really want you to do a pro and con sheet, like old school. Like, if I accept Jesus, what do I get? If I reject him, what do I get? And, and, and do it for all the different ways you think you can get saved. And I guarantee you when, you, when you weigh them all out, just straight old school, this is the pluses, this is the minuses, you're going to say, man, believing in Jesus is the best thing. It's the most logical, and it's the best way because it's God's way. And, it, and what's beautiful it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with who the Lord is. So if you are not willing to receive the forgiveness of God, then you're not going to be cleared of your guilt. And if you look at your life, you know that you're guilty. We all are. Every single one of us, except Jesus Christ, stand guilty before God. Because he's perfect and we are so not. And I feel totally comfortable saying that because I realize I've probably done infinitely more things than all of you combined. I've been around the block more times than most people. And I realize how far short I've fallen. So I feel really comfortable being like, hey, I can lead the way. We need Jesus. Because he's perfect and we're not. And then finally, notice, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Now, this is a Semitic or a Hebraic expression of continuance, which means we live in a world full of legacies. Now, that does not mean that your dad's sin you are responsible for, because the Bible, from cover to cover, makes it clear that everyone's responsible for their own life. But you know if your dad was angry, there's probably a good chance that you're angry. If your mother was an alcoholic, the prevalence of alcoholism in their children is significantly higher. That's just statistics. You, whatever becomes your normal, there is a much higher prevalence in you. And so what that means is that in a world of legacies, because we are socialized by our parents, if you embrace the lifestyle of your parents, you're going to get the same things that they received. And the beauty of the Christian gospel is that you get a new parent. You get a new parent. Your heavenly father did not make all the mistakes that your parents made. And you get a new father, and that father teaches you a new way to be. A new way to be. So whatever your parents were or weren't, you say, Lord, that was a teaching ground, but you are my heavenly father. And I want you to teach me a new way to be. But these legacies are real. And if you walk out the mistakes of your parents, you will receive the same things that they received. And the beauty is, is the gospel just cuts it off. It just cuts it off. So there's the name of God, the nature of God, real quick like. Now notice what happens in verse 8. So Moses made haste, bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Look at that. The elements of God's character was so striking that it totally had an effect on Moses. He made haste. He hurried up. When we come into the presence of God, we hurry up to worship. And he bowed his head. That's, a, that's an expression of humility, a bowing down before, and he worshiped. And I want to encourage you, listen, 
When God does something rad in your life, when God reveals himself, make haste and bow your head in worship. Don't be afraid just to be like, Lord, you are crazy. That's how I worship God. That's me. I'm like, Lord, you are so crazy. Because he is crazy some, for me, you know? You are such a wild person, Lord. I mean, I would never have done it that way, but this is so awesome. Because you know what happens when you're a worshiper? Life becomes just a blast. Because you just see God move and you're like, yeah, whoa, oh yeah, Lord. I remember this one time, oh, this is a great story. I'll throw myself under the bus. I remember one day, I, I was living in the Bay Area the first time. So this was, I was an assistant pastor. I was probably 22 years old. I remember I was walking down 4th Street in San Rafael, right in the North Bay, north of San Francisco. And man, and I was just walking and the Lord was just blowing my mind. He was doing so much work in my heart and through my heart. And I was just having a blast. And so I had like a little strut on because I was just like walking in the, I'm in the presence of the Lord. It's great, you know. And I was just having such a blast. I, I mean, people thought I was loco, but I didn't mind. You know what I mean? Because God's so good. And I was, I was right in front of, of a bus stop and I face planted straight up. Just like, bam! You know? And I remember, and you know what happens if you're walking, there's all these people there in your face plant, right? You feel like a knucklehead. But you know what's amazing? I was so busy praising the Lord. I got up, I was like, ha ha, you guys see me? I just wiped out! And I just went to, you know? And it was just like, it didn't even matter. It didn't, like, yeah, I had road burn. It didn't matter. And I know later all those people are like, did you see that guy? That guy was crazy. I mean, he was laughing. He thought it was so funny. He just looked stupid. And I'm just like, yeah, Jesus! Now, why do I say that? Because some of us are just, we need to worship because we're just too grumpy. I mean, let's be... I believe that's a word from the Lord, like, stop being so grumpy. He's He's God. And he's giving you breath in your lungs and a beating heart. He's giving you a moment, just moment, this day to be his child. So what are we freaking out about? Like, seriously. And this is May Kate bow our heads and say, like, yeah, Lord. Yes, Lord. Amen, Lord. You're God. You got this. I'm a knucklehead. We already knew that. I love this about Moses. He gets the nature of the Lord. He's just like, yes, I am praising God. And notice, Moses, he's not even content with just praising God. He's like, man, God's so good. He's so gracious. He's so merciful. I'm going to ask him for something. Love this about Moses. Moses is like, man, God's gracious. He's good. He's like, if I have now found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. I love this about Moses. Moses wants more. And God already told him he was going to go with him. He's like, Lord, if I found grace, can you come with us, please, please, please? Any parent in the room knows that when your kids come that way, what do you do? You come running. This happened last time. I was reading a book, but I come down. I was like, Dad, Dad, please, please, can we build this Star Wars paper airplane? Please, come on, it'd be so much fun. Now, he's got a whole book of these things. So I've built a lot of these Star and they fly pretty good. But when he comes down, I'm like, yeah, buddy, let's go do it. And we're upstairs on his bed, and we're trying to figure this, this thing out. It's pretty complicated, actually. And we were flying the plane. And he's like, oh, Dad, this is so... That's how Moses, he's just like, come on, dad, let's go, come with us. I want to be your inheritance. You know, and, and this is what happens when, you notice when you worship, it's so much easier to pray. 
Because you already realize that God's down with you. He's not freaked out by you. He loves you. And they start saying, Lord, I just want you to, can you do this, Lord? Can you really take care of this? Can you bless this? And it's not like, okay, I got to go to prayer now. And how, how many of you get into that, right? It's like prayer is like a real big thing. Prayer is like running, doing an Iron Man. Like I, I got to say the right words to the Lord. And I got to make sure I read the right books beforehand. And I got to, man, God, even though he's holy, he's so personal for us. And when you're a worshiper, you can just talk to the Lord. Just be like, Lord, you just work this out. Think of Nehemiah, freaked out about what was going on in Jerusalem. And he's grieved, and the, and the king, he comes, he's the cupbearer for the king. And the king says, Nehemiah, what's going on? And Nehemiah says, I prayed and I spoke to the king. It's that quick. He's like, Lord, help. Well, this is what's going on, king. And the king totally blessed him. Yeah, I'll send you. I'll pay your way. We'll make sure you got everything taken care of. Man, worship breeds prayer. It does. And if you're here and you're in Christ, you can talk to the Lord. And I love that about Moses. Moses is like, Lord, I want more. I want you. And even though Moses is humbled in the sight of the Lord, he's like, just come with us, please. Forgive us. Let us be your inheritance. Now, in verse 10, we begin to see the covenant being renewed. And what's interesting is, the Lord takes him back through a number of the different things that we've already seen that were part of the covenant. So like, look what happens in verse 10. It says, And he said, Behold, I make a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels, such as has not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Verse 11, behold, what I command you this day, behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. So he's re restoring the covenant. But notice, this covenant is being restored. God's saying, I'm going to do amazing things. People are going to know what's going on. He's saying, look, I'm bringing you into this land. But notice what the covenant is based upon. Verse 11, observe what I command you this day. Part of the covenant is obedience. It's obedience. They had already failed, and God comes back in and says, observe what I'm telling you. There is an obedience component to this covenant. Then he goes on, verse 12, take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you're going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images, for you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifices to their gods. And one of them invites you and you eat of his sacrifice and you take of his daughters for your sons and his daughters play the harlot with their gods and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. You shall make no molded gods for yourself. So he says, look, you need to be careful. He says, where you're going, they do not worship me. They have all other ways to worship. Reject their worship. Do not become a part of it. You see in here, it says no intermarriage. Not because God was concerned about, about the bloodline, the ethnic line, but because God knew that when somebody who was a follower of Yahweh married somebody who was a follower of all the other stuff, at some point there was going to be a mixing of worship. 
And that is a biblical principle. If you love the Lord, do not be dating or marrying people who don't love the Lord. Why? Because they're going to want to get you involved in the things that they're involved in. And God actually cares about worship. He says, reject the things that they do. Why? Because God is jealous. Now, I realize when the Bible says that God is jealous, when we think of jealousy, we think of crimes of passion. We think of somebody who, their jealousy is really selfishness. It's not a virtue. It's a sin. But any person who is a true lover knows what jealousy is. And I, I use the example. It's a horrible example. If my wife, Lynn, came to me and said, Daniel, I just want you to know I fell in love with another person. And I said, well, great. You know, I'm not jealous at all. If I respond that way, I don't really love my wife. True love would be jealous for her love. Now, if I took out a baseball bat and I beat her to a pulp, that's not godly at all. And that's how we think of jealousy, right? Like, like you gals, the boyfriend who, you know, you, you see somebody and, and they're like, oh, you like him? And they get all crazy. That, that's not, that's just selfishness and insecurity. That's what that is. God is not selfish or insecure. He loves you enough not to want to see you get hurt. And he is jealous for your love because he knows that only his love can satisfy you. So when it says that God, God's jealousy always comes out in the midst of idolatry because God knows that when his people follow after other gods, they end up getting hurt. And he loves you enough to say, I do not want you to get hurt. So no unholy alliances of any way. Don't intermarry. Don't make molded images. None of that stuff. Now in verse 18, we get into the remember the commemorative feast. The feast of unleavened bread. You shall keep seven days. You shall eat unleavened bread as I commanded you in the appointed time in the month of Aviv. For in the month of Aviv, you came out of the land of Egypt. All that open the womb are mine. And every male firstborn among you and your livestock, whether ox or sheep, but the firstborn of a donkey, you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem him, then you shall break his neck. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Six days you shall work, and on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in the harvest you shall rest. And you shall observe the feast of weeks, of the first fruit of the wheat harvest and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Three times a year, all your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel. For I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Neither will any man covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord, your God, three times a year. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven, nor shall the sacrifice of the feast of Passover be left until morning. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Now, if you've been studying the book of Exodus with us, we've seen all of these. We have the three commemorative feasts, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. You can read about them in Exodus 23. He says, look, you got to keep all those. Notice he also says that don't worry about going up because I will keep people out of your land. They'd be like, well, if we go up, people may come and take our land. God's like, look, I'll protect you when you worship me. Of course, there's the redemption of the firstborn. We've already seen all of this. There's, I'd want you to sacrifice a certain way. All of these things we've already seen. This is a rehashing once again of the covenant over and over 
and over again. Now, verse 27 and 28, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for according to the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablet the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Now, here we have the covenant restored. I want you to notice one thing. How long was Moses there? 40 days and 40 nights. Now, of course, that number pops up in different places, doesn't it? Think about Jesus. How long was Jesus fasting in the wilderness for? 40 days. Don't miss the overarching theme. Adam, the first Adam, was in the garden with the Lord and he failed. Right? Moses is making a covenant 40 days and 40 nights fasting and we know ultimately that Moses fails. But Jesus, who fasts for 40 days and 40 nights, is the one who doesn't fail. That's an overarching biblical theme. That Jesus is the one who can keep the covenant because he is the one who faileth not. The one who does not fail. Now, I'm going to close the study with verses 29 to 35 today. Notice what it says. Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai... And the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with him. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near. And he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out and he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses that the skin of Moses face shone. Then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. Notice this. When Moses came down, he didn't realize, but his face was radiant. His face was radiant. It reminds me of Psalm 34 verse 5, which says, they looked unto him and they were radiant. When you and I Look into the face of the true and living God. His light becomes our light reflected. We reflect the light of the world. Now, of course, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 to 18, I want you to put that in your notes. Read it later. The Apostle Paul makes the case that although Moses covered his face, one of the reasons he covered his face is because that glory, that radiance, the longer he was out of God's presence was diminishing. Right? And the Apostle Paul makes the case, he makes the case that the glory of the old covenant is passing away, but the glory of the new covenant never wanes. Jesus is Prayer stops being intimidating when you're a worshiper. 
That's what Pastor Daniel advised as he described Moses' reaction to God's direction for the people. Moses was seeking more from the Lord, which is an attitude we should have for our Savior. Giving is one of the central themes in the Bible. Believe it or not, it's the main subject of nearly half of the parables that Jesus taught. Like prayer and serving others, money is an outlet of spiritual power. When it's released into ministry, God does amazing things with it. To understand what it means to be a Christ follower, we must also understand what it means to be a giver. Please prayerfully consider becoming a monthly supporter of Jesus is Real Radio. For more information, log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thanks, Josh. Pastor Daniel would like to invite you to join him each day on Facebook for his two-minute messages. Pastor Daniel shares from his heart and God's Word in a way that will impact your life. It's the perfect way to inject a little bit of Jesus into your routine. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links to the two-minute messages. Now, here's Josh with a preview of what Pastor Daniel will be covering in the next edition of Jesus Is Real Radio. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when we'll consider what the Sabbath rest and ritual offerings meant for the children of Israel and what they mean for us today. We'll learn the difference between law-based and grace-based giving as well. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through his series entitled Tabernacle. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio. My life is no tipping.